Welcome to all of you joining us in the fellowship hall and through the broadcast today. This summer, we're walking through the book of Acts, seeing how God is teaching the church to walk in the way of Jesus. And today, this text is a particularly big milestone for the growing up of the church. As we learned a few years ago, we are all part of the big God story, the story of God's movement in the world. And Christianity grew up in the Jewish home, but what God was doing could no longer be contained in the Hebrew people, this worldwide vision that he had opened the door to receive through Jesus Christ. So today in our text, we see how God was gently teaching his people to catch the larger vision of what salvation for the world through Jesus Christ would really mean. What difference does Jesus make in the way that we relate to God? What difference does Jesus make in how we engage the world, knowing that in Jesus, God himself bridged the gap that stood between us? That rather than achieve, we are called to believe, to trust God. But if we truly trust God, we will do what he says. Real trust leads to steps of faith. This story in Acts is an important one because it's the first time a Gentile is invited into the family of faith. It's an act which, in a way, shows Christian independence from Judaism, claiming the real power of salvation is by Jesus Christ alone. We saw a few weeks ago in the baptism of an Ethiopian official by Philip, the first stirrings of this, but that official went back, back to Ethiopia. And now in this situation, a group of Gentiles will be integrated into the family of the church, and that will change the way the church has seen itself. This is a big step of faith for Peter, and it's a big step of faith for a man named Cornelius. But I love this story because it shows very clearly that God had been at work in both of their lives to bring them to this point. God wanted them both to know his heart, and the way that he achieves that is bringing them together as one people in Jesus Christ. And this collection of God's people called the church, they sharpen each other in faith to better hear what God is teaching them. So today we're going to take a look at both what God was doing in Cornelius and what God was doing in Peter, and then ask, what does that show us about what God is doing in us? So Cornelius, what do we know about him? If you have a Bible with you today, please turn to Acts chapter 10. We're going to be in that chapter quite a bit today. You might want to keep it open there. Acts 10.1 says this, At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. So what do we know about Cornelius? We know he was not a Hebrew man. He was Italian. He was part of the occupying military in town. But somewhere along the line, he had come to believe that the God of the Hebrew people actually is God. He respected the Jews and their ways, praying and giving generously, but he was not a Jewish convert. He didn't adopt their practices of circumcision or temple sacrifice. He was a believer, but not actively part of the faith community. And as a non-Jew, he was not even necessarily able to enter into that temple system. 
But on this particular day, a vision of an angel startles him by telling him that his offerings to the poor have been interpreted by God as a memorial offering. In Leviticus 2, we can see that the memorial portion of an offering is the part that's burned on the altar. It's purely meant to honor God alone. So for this angel to tell Cornelius that his offerings to the poor have been received by God as a memorial offering, that means that God has received this as an act of pure worship. That God sees his generosity isn't just to impress people, but that he truly wanted to honor God by the way that he lives. God sees the heart. And at its heart, the temple sacrificial system is meant to help God's people keep God at the center of their lives. But God sees that this is already true of Cornelius' heart. And because of what Jesus has done for him and for us, now real relationship can begin. Before the law of Moses was even created to keep the people focused on relationship with God and growing in it, Abraham lived in righteousness and right relationship with God. Genesis 15, 6 says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. That trust in God led Abraham to go to places he would never have gone if he didn't trust God. But Abraham was not the actor, he was the reactor. God was the one leading. God saw in Cornelius the kind of heart that Abraham had to trust God and to follow. And Cornelius didn't know a whole lot about what God had done and where God was leading his people, but what he did know was that God was God and he was not. And that's the kind of heart that the Father is seeking, one that's teachable and willing. So what does God want for a heart like that? He wants them to know who he is and what has been done for them in Jesus Christ, the price that he's paid for them so they can enter into an active and daily relationship with him. The structures of sacrifices past were necessary to train hearts in relationship with God, but now that purpose is fulfilled in Jesus. I believe that what God is saying here is, I've seen your faith, Cornelius, and I'm pleased with you, but it's time for you to grow up now, Cornelius. Your heart is ready to come and really know me. So I'm going to send someone who can show you how. And do you see how God does this? With a vision. So Cornelius will know that it's personal, first of all. And then secondly, with an invitation. Do you want to hear what I have to say? Send for this man. Will you respond? Will you trust? So now it's in Cornelius' court. And from there, God brings the presence of someone who loves Jesus to walk alongside him in growing in that step of faith. And I think God works the same in our lives today. God nudges our hearts by his Holy Spirit, giving us longing to know more of God's heart. Maybe in ways we don't even recognize at first, but there's a hole in our hearts that can only be filled by God's love. And then God gives us an invitation to grow, sometimes a draw to come to worship or to read the word or spend time in prayer or talk to a certain person. But do we want what God has for us enough to be obedient to that call? We can respond or we can ignore. But when we respond, when we follow him by obedience, God opens the door, not for Lone Ranger Christian life, but for a community of people who are also growing with him. Because this is how God shows us love, not by just drawing us to himself, but also by drawing us to each other. Do you know a Cornelius in your life? Someone who believes in God but is not connected to any church family? 
What do you think God wants for that heart? It wasn't enough to leave Cornelius and his family out there alone. God wanted them in the family. Did you know that one of the most common ways that Muslims become Christians today is through visions of Jesus? In the month of Ramadan, when people are fasting and praying for God to guide them, in Africa, after that month is over, it is staggering how many people seek out missionaries to ask them about Jesus. Can you tell me about Jesus? He appeared to me. He wants me to know him. What God did for Cornelius, he is literally still doing today, often. Because God wants us to know not just that he is, but who he is to draw us into his life through Jesus Christ because only then can we live into who we are, eternally loved children of the king. So back to our story. Cornelius has this vision and he's heard the invitation to respond and he's obedient. He sends his servants to go and find Peter at the house of Simon the Tanner and while they're gone, in faith, he assembles all of his family and friends. Come to my house. God is going to show something big that we all need to hear. Talk about faith. So the servants go and they find this house and they ask, hey, is there a guy named Peter here? Can't even imagine what they're feeling. And at the moment, Peter comes down the stairs saying, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And they tell him, well, God told Cornelius that you were here and we should come and get you and you were going to give us a message. And Peter says, okay, let's go. As if that was the most natural thing in the world. And the group of Christians who are at the house with them decide they're going to come too because wouldn't you want to see what happens next? So they go to this Roman's house to stay and to eat. Now it doesn't sound like such a big deal to us, but this was a huge deal for Peter because this was one of the big deals of the law was that Jews didn't stay with or eat with non-Jews. Now, this was a law that had kept the people in faith for a long time because as a wandering people, they were often exposed to the ideas of other things or deities to worship, and they could have some short attention spans, if you remember that golden calf incident. This law was meant to help them remember that God alone is worthy of their worship. And in other homes, the things they ate might be part of a ritual of worship to some other deity, and that might confuse them. Or staying with others might pressure them to compromise their own faithfulness to God. So there was a reason for this part of the law. It was centered on the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And because of this, the day before these men show up, There is no way that Peter would have accepted an invitation to go and stay with them and eat under their roof. Not because he was mean, but because he didn't want to insult God by making it look like he was honoring pagan practices as truth. But just minutes before these men showed up, God had a lesson for Peter too. We'll take a look at it in Acts 10, starting with verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. 
This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Peter then went to Cornelius' house the next day, and Cornelius received him, continuing in Acts 10, 27. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius explained he was being obedient to God's command to send for Peter, continuing in Acts 10.33. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in, Je in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Continuing in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. A few days before this, Peter would not have been able to give this message or stay with them. It wasn't only Cornelius who needed to learn about what it meant that Jesus is Lord. It was also Peter. And thank God, he also had a teachable heart. But you can understand why Peter was confused by this vision. God, you alone are God. We are to grow deep with your people, not in the ways of the world. And God's response was, yes, but who my people are and how bigger than Hebrew history can contain. Now my people come to me through Jesus. In John 10, 16, Jesus once said, I have other sheep, not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. People from every nation would now listen to Jesus' voice and come. And Peter knew this, 
But still it was a hard thing for him to navigate in practice. He knew that Jesus had taught that we are not to disregard God's law. In Matthew 5, 17 through 19, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. We are not to ignore the law because the law is a reflection of God's heart. But Jesus came to fulfill the law. The sacrificial system of the past helped form the heart to teach the heart to honor God first. And now Jesus is the one who shows the way to the Father, who leads us by his Spirit, who leads us into humble, obedient reverence to God. But Jesus doesn't teach contrary to the law. He speaks to its heart. In the fall, we're going to be teaching on the Beatitudes, where Jesus says repeatedly, You have heard it said, but now I say. And in each of those cases, he clarifies the heart of the law, not just what to do and not to do, but what condition of the heart it points toward. And Cornelius, with his earnest heart, was making a memorial offering to God in the only way available to him. And because of Jesus' sacrifice for him, that faith could be reckoned to him as righteousness. We honor the law because it conveys God's heart, but we don't worship it because the law does not save. Jesus alone is the Savior. Scripture, Martin Luther said, is the cradle of Christ. It introduces you and invites us to meet in person the one who saves. But because Peter loved God so much, he needed a word from God to be able to see what it meant to extend table fellowship to someone who had only known pagan practices before, someone uncircumcised, someone who hadn't made temple sacrifices. But in that moment, he could see that because Jesus had redeemed this man, he was part of the family. Because he trusted the Lord for his salvation with a humble and teachable heart. And from that moment on, in the family of faith, he would grow into knowing what it meant to live in discipleship, not as a precondition for salvation, but in response to God's saving love in Christ. And in that moment, God was doing a mighty thing in Peter. He had come from Joppa knowing they were expecting a message, and he didn't have a clue as to what that message was supposed to be yet. But when he got there, he saw this whole house packed with people hungry for a word from God for them. Scripture tells us that Jesus looked down in the crowds and loved them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And I think that's what Peter was feeling when he looked at these earnest seekers. We know that Peter would prefer that they would come to God through Judaism, through circumcision and food laws and all of that. But no matter where they were coming from, they were here with hopeful hearts and God wanted them to know that they had a Savior in Jesus Christ right now so they could begin living life with him right here, right now. That salvation in Christ was not something to be achieved but believed in faith and willingness to follow. So Peter shared the good news and they came to be baptized joyfully into the family of faith. And I believe this is the first time that Peter saw the truth of what Jesus' sacrifice would mean for the world. Ephesians 2 says, 
For he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, Cornelius, and peace to those who were near, Peter. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. Jesus came to receive us from wherever we are to become part of his family, but where we go together from here is a matter of discipleship, of hearts conformed to God. So what does that mean for the law? for the community, for the Jewish Christians, for the Gentile converts. Well, this is only the beginning of this discussion that happens in the book of Acts, so we'll develop this more as we get into future texts. But here, Peter, of the chosen people, realizes with shock that God has no favorites, that in Christ all who will receive Jesus as Lord and Savior become part of the new chosen people of God's grace. So what does this story tell us today? Cornelius was like many today who have faith but no church connection. And this story shows us that Lone Ranger faith is not enough. That God wanted Cornelius to know more of who Jesus Christ is, and for that, he needed the structure of the community of faith to grow beyond what he himself already knew. And Peter needed to open his heart to the movement of the Holy Spirit in ways that he didn't expect. In truth, they needed each other to be able to see the full picture of what God was up to. So if you're here today and you are a Cornelius, someone who is seeking God, thank you for being obedient to God's call and being here today. Pray for people to help you grow in knowing the God who loves you as you're on this journey of growing faith. Keep seeking the Lord. He'll guide you. And if you're like Peter... Peter, who had all the strength of the background of the institution of faith and church life and personal experiences with Jesus, but needed to have his eyes open to see where the Holy Spirit was working to draw people into right relationship with God, first through Jesus' grace, and then in discipleship of what that means. If you're like Peter, I challenge you today to pray for a Cornelius in your life. Pray for God to nudge their hearts so they know that it's personal. Pray for opportunities to invite them into the family to see who Jesus really is, who he shows us, God the Father, to be. And listen for the nudge of the Holy Spirit, when to move. Ask for God to show you the way he's already at work in that person's life and help them grow. Because we know God wants us all in the family. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we need you. None of us are righteous without you. Sometimes we tend to think like Peter that others must come to you the way that we did. But Jesus, we know that you alone are Savior. 
Help us, Lord, to hear your voice and be open to helping others come to know you from wherever they are. May your Holy Spirit always be teaching us, forming us, empowering us to be obedient hearts and teachable, willing spirits. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.